the state of things, man. Everything's a bit upside down. The shroud of the dark side has fallen. Welcome to A Conspiracy in the Force, the show where we examine parallel conspiracies in a galaxy far, far away, in a galaxy not so far away. The show is designed as an introduction to modern day conspiracy theories by using Star Wars, one of the most beloved fictional universes, as a point of reference. Let's begin. Hey, Conspiracy Kyle here. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It greatly helps out the show, and it's much appreciated. Also, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Conspiracy underscore Kyle, and that's Conspiracy with a K. Also, follow me on YouTube at Conspiracy Kyle, once again, with a K. And also, now you can find me on the Rockfin Network at rockfin.com with new exclusive content. Now on to the show. Welcome to Conspiracy in the Force. My name is Conspiracy Kyle. Um, thank you for those of you who are are tuned in on on Rockfin. Um, I've been really enjoying doing these live on on Thursday nights. Um, save any you know technical hiccups, but this is going to be a really fun one. Um, I, I bring to the table with us tonight someone I call Conspiracy Yoda. I have Mr. Charlie Robinson. How are you doing tonight? <laughs> Good. I don't have to eat. Uh frogs do i oh wait no that's well, that's, that's, that's i don't know maybe that's a high an offshoot of yoda you know I just if, stir if, my little if, pot of stuff yeah if, if klaus has his way we'll be eating worse than that so right we'll, uh, for sure i'll be yeah. begging for bugs and snakes if if, uh, if 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 they put their agenda in place <laughs> so for for those who and, and i I'm hoping that there's not many people out there who don't know who you are, but if you could kind of give a little rundown about, about your, about your show, your podcast, some of your, your books and writings and some of the stuff you, that you've been doing. Yeah. Um, I started this crazy adventure by writing a book called the octopus of global control and um, wrote that in total secrecy. Didn't tell anyone I was writing it. Didn't think I would finish it. Then I got about halfway done with it and I didn't tell anyone I was writing it because I didn't want anyone to tell me to stop writing it which is the, what happens once you think you're really onto something, you know? And so that book came out in 2017. Um, I did a second book with Jeff Berwick called The Controlled Demolition of the American Empire. Looks kind of like this with Building 7 coming down wrapped in an American flag. Um, and then the third book just came out, Hypocrisy, Hypoc Crazy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards with Uncle Sam in a straitjacket in a mental institution on the cover, which I think is kind of fitting for where we are. And I've, mm -hmm. I've got a podcast called Macroaggressions that you can find right here on Rockfin. So if you haven't already, please, uh, I don't know, what do we do on Rockfin? Follow? Subscribe? Whatever. Do something. Y yes, one of, one of those things. There's a, there's a button. You do know, both. There's one button. There's one follow button and press. subscribe just to make sure. Although following people always sound really creepy to me. And it's like, oh, I'm following you on Instagram. I'm like, ooh. Yeah, um, it, it is pretty creepy. <laughs> um, so there's that. And then I've got a group podcast called The Union of the Unwanted and, a, and another group podcast that we just started doing a, a, a couple months ago called Day Zero. 
with Chris Matthew, Corey Hughes, and X-Cube 420. So we get into stories of the week and we go drill down on them until we offend everybody, basically. And, and, and there's been quite a few stories to talk about this year, you know? So just I've heard. Few. <laughs> just, just a few. Um, I want to talk real quick about, you know, the new book, Hypocrisy, that, that just came out. You know, you tipped me off. Um, as you were finishing this, you said, you said, you said, Kyle, you sent me a message. You're like, listen, there is a Greedo reference in this there book. Is. So <laughs> as soon as I bought it, you know, I, I felt like that weirdo that buys a book and turns to the last page to see how it ends. Yeah. But I just, on Kindle, I'm like, do a word search for Greedo. I, I had to find w- what it was. So can, can you, can you let everybody know what that was in reference to? Cause I think it's a very important thing about, um, I'll be honest what, with you. what that tied into. I don't even remember. I just know that it was in there. <laughs> I know that I, I I know that I put a reference to a Han Solo shooting Greedo in the back of the cantina, but I didn't. I but I actually kind of forget what it was in reference to. It, it, so so it was in reference to you were talking about um, you're talking about Trump, and you were talking about how a lot of people have a certain viewpoint about about Trump. They thought he was here to make America great and do all this great stuff. But mm-hmm. your point was, you know, looking at the people he surrounded himself with, especially his, and I think that's what, what, what oh. how it broke down the book. You talked about everybody in his cabinet and all like the crazy BS things they've been involved with. And then you basically said like, was Greedo not available? Were the rest of the <laughs> Moss Eisley Cantina patrons not available? And talk a little bit about, about that, about the Trump cabinet and who he surrounded himself with that. Cause I think it's very interesting. I think people need to know about this more. Well, yeah. I mean, it was like early on, he's like, you know, I don't want to start any more of these bullshit wars. Or, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. Obviously, he's like, and it's like, and then I'd like you to inter- inter- I'd like to introduce John Bolton to you. And you're like, seriously, you're bringing John Bolton in, and you don't want to start bullshit wars? That guy's specialty is starting the bullshit wars. That's what he does. So you you have guys like that. You had you had um, Paul Manafort, who's a grifter. You have, I mean, look when when. He, when Hillary Clinton was running against Donald Trump for president, and he said he he used he used that one liner on on the during the debate when he said, "Or you'd be in jail, right?" And and just was a total zinger, right? The irony of this is that the best way for Donald Trump to have put Hillary Clinton in jail would have been to hire her to work on his, in his administration, because more people from his administration went to jail than Hillary Clinton, than Hillary Clinton's or the likes of them out there. So he, he, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm no fan of Trump better than Hillary, but then again, Satan is better than Hillary. Um, But he, you know, he, he sort of pawned himself off as this outsider. You know, I'm this, I'm this guy. Uh, yeah, I'm rich. Yeah, I know all these people, but I don't like them. And, and, and they're scumbags. And it comes to Washington, D.C. And he talks about draining the swamp. And he talks about how, you know, we're going we're gonna to clean up Washington. We're going to drain the swamp. And then it's Elliot Abrams and John Bolton right away. And if you were to do a, a lineup, a police lineup of the people that you would consider to be swamp creatures, these two guys would be in the lineup. They were, they, they've been in the lineup since the early eighties. So it's not like they, we just figured out that these guys are scumbags. Elliot Abrams has been busted trying to start wars all over the world. That's, that's what he does too. So he brought in the two guys that are in charge of, uh, you know, getting people, you know, trying to overthrow governments and, and doing a, a poor job of it. 
they they started to work on Venezuela. That did not go well. Everyone could see right through that. Um, and 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 so you know, I mean, he 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 sort of held himself out as this guy that was above all of the Washington nonsense. And yet one of the first things he did was fill his administration with all of the people that have been in Washington for years and years and years. So so another <laughs> another broken political promise. I mean, not that that's going to register too much on anyone's radar because there's so many of them with every candidate. But but a guy like Donald Trump who you know says he's going to drain the swamp comes in and it, with a, and just starts filling it with alligators. Yeah, and and that's and that's the thing that you know once once I knew more about that and especially about the Operation Warp Speed stuff. You know, I, I used to be a pretty hardcore Trump supporter, and I don't I don't feel feel bad about that. You know, you 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 go with the decisions you make with the information you have at the time, right? Yeah. You know, and, and as this went as that administration went along, I learned more and more and more, and especially you know the Operation Warp Speed stuff. Really, that I think that's me. that that's and that's still bothersome. And you know. Um, Whitney Whitney Webb wrote a really really great article last year. I know you read it yeah. about all, all the all the ties that that had to you know whether it was CIA or other NGOs, how they orchestrated all these deals with with pharmaceutical companies and, and hid the the contracts from the public, yeah. and and, ju and just the fact that you know he he's all about freedom and this and that, and he, he he tried to ramp up the vaccine administration as quick as possible, dodging all of the dodging all the um regulatory things like the FDA and obviously not that not that we really feel that that's really anything there but 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 still if, if you're going to do it you should at least go through the proper compliance so yeah. that that one always always bothers me because yeah. we're still seeing the rollout of, of that yeah and I wasn't one of those guys that like obsessively hated Trump I didn't like him before he became president that was my biggest problem with him I had less problems about his uh, policies than I just did about his personality that's that's really my 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 gripe with trump had always been i just don't like guys like that i just don't like guys mm -hmm. that are like i'm the best you uh, you're the you're the worst i'm the greatest everything i do is the greatest and i'm in vegas selling real estate right when when trump tower is built there the condo tower and he's like it's the best building in town it's the best building you got to come see it it's the greatest building in town i went through it i was like it's not even it's not even in the discussion of the greatest buildings <laughs> in town it's a hilton right. you know and so i was like this is stupid i hate it when people do that so so I was sort of always indifferent, didn't love his personality, didn't didn't really care too much about his policies, watched him, you know, because I didn't trust him. But but the warp speed thing bothered me because all the you know, there were a lot of people that were like very enthusiastic for Donald Trump. And I understand that. I do understand that for sure. And and I do understand that he he came in and he said he was going to prioritize America. And that resonates with people, man. That's that's something that we haven't been doing for a long, long time. So when someone says someone runs for president and has the audacity to say that they are going to put America first, that should be like a no-brainer. But it had been so many years since anybody had even really done that or said they were going to do that, that 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 message really connected with a huge segment of the audience. And I can totally understand that. Where he lost a lot of people was when he, I mean, for those that 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 understand it, the warp speed thing because he he became the biggest vaccine salesman in the world you know he came out of that he came out of that hospital remember and he's like hello yeah. it's me your favorite president donald trump out here at the white house and yeah like, whatever my what's my green screen again yeah everyone's like what the fuck is going on like we know who you are 
and you're in front of the White House? Do you are you sure you're in front of the White House? I mean, everything about it was very weird. And he's like, I just had Regeneron, and let me tell you, it was fantastic. And you're like, I, I was like, what is going on here? I feel like I'm in some sort of weird performance art thing, right? And um, so I didn't love that aspect of it. I'm begging for Trump over Biden. Begging oh, yeah. for Trump over Biden. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. that, that unfortunately is more of an indictment on how low the bar is set, to be honest right. with you, that people are like, told you Biden was going to be terrible. You should, I bet you're wishing you had Trump. Now, now, to be clear, I didn't vote for either of these people, but, but, um, but yeah, I think even Biden voters are like, we kind of like, yeah, he said mean things on Twitter, but can we have the orange guy back? Because at least he, at least he's, I might not agree with him, but at least I, I understand he's got a point on things. Whereas with Joe Biden, like, I'm not quite sure what is going on there. That, that whole yeah, well, administration, <laughs> I mean, you do great podcasts about science fiction movies. And I feel like the Biden administration is like a science fiction movie. It's like a documentary or something that's being made. And there's characters that are kind of look like the people in it. It's kind of Joe Biden and it's kind of Kamala Harris. And, it, and they're on a soundstage somewhere that's kind of the White House, but it's not totally the White House. Everything about it seems like very stage managed, you know, from his you know, not allowed to call, you know, you have to call in Nora O'Donnell first, or you're not allowed to talk to the press at all. Or I, they're, they told me I can't say that, or I'm driving this car. And then you can know that you see that there's another guy <laughs> in the passenger side with the steering wheel and he's yeah. actually driving the car. Is that not the perfect metaphor for America? <laughs> right. He, he, he puts his hand right through the microphone. Green screen, right. like, come on. And, and then you, and you, you know, it's so fake and so fraudulent because the very next day you, you've gone to the homepage on Twitter and seen when these things happen, we're all talking about the next day. Listen, factcheck.org yeah. says that, that, that did not happen. You, you, the perspective of the video in this, it's like, don't, don't, don't try to tell me what I saw. It's exhausting. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, this is what you do when you are in a bad place. I think mm -hmm. that the Biden administration is in a really bad place where that nobody is. Uh, I mean, I don't know what's worse, Kyle, Joe Biden running the show or Joe Biden not running the show because we don't know who is in charge behind right. him. At least when Trump was there, you didn't like him maybe, or you thought he was a prick but you definitely knew he was in charge to the extent that he could be, you know, obviously that the president's hands are tied, but, but whatever the president was allowed to do, Donald Trump was doing all of that. Plus a bunch of other stuff he wasn't allowed to do. You know, he was trying right. to run everything. You, you got that feeling with Joe Biden. You get the feeling that he's it's, I mean, we've, we've all kind of joked about weekend at Bernie's, and, but, but really that is kind of that feeling where it's like, He's he's physically there, but he's not mentally there, and you don't know if the the mouth is moving, but are the words his? And then you've got real questions about whether or not he's even whether or not it's even him. I mean, like I don't want to get too like woo woo, but I guess we probably could on this show. But <laughs> but like prosthetic, uh, real life Joe Biden masks. Hey, look on the table for discussion at this point. Yeah. Considering I've, what we've I've seen, seen a, I've seen so many of the side-by-side -side faces of him over the years and 
it's not, a, I mean, I'm no scientist or biologist, but it is not a normal progression of a person. It, the, 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 the size of the head changes up and down in the, in the eyes, in the ears, people like, you know, you know, people are, are, are so awesome out there to look up all this stuff. Like his ear flap was like this and now it's like this. And it was like, I'm like, it, it's a little yeah. bit over, probably over our heads, but at the same time, there, there's enough BS going on to, to bring up that kind of stuff, you know? And I, know. I, I, I like to make the analogy like, um, Joe Biden is like Jar Jar Binks in one of two ways. Either one, he's just a complete moron, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's 99% possible. Or like this whole Darth Jar Jar theory, he is some mastermind trying to make evil us Sith Lord, <laughs> evil Sith Lord, trying to make <laughs> us look silly or intentionally botch everything for some master plan. It's like, in, in either of those cases, we're effed. But... Joe Biden's head has changed shape so much that Barry Bonds wants an inquiry into this whole thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, I had a great comment from the chat. Like you were talking about, you know, this whole administration is kind of like a, a movie. Like these characters look similar. So someone said this, the Biden administration is like, is like Spaceballs is to Star Wars. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it looks very similar, but it's fundamentally different. It's just not as funny, though. It I is mean, like, I'm not, not laughing as, as much at this administration. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I take a like my approach to politics is I'm kind of like in the stands, just yelling obscenities at both sides and throwing rocks at both sides. I don't like either of them. I don't respect them. I don't, um, I don't vote. I don't vote for these people. I, I refuse to participate in this. So, I. I, I I have like my default mechanism is set to laugh at all of this stuff. And I do to an extent, I do laugh at this stuff, but, but, but I also recognize that these people are making decisions that are very serious too. And, and when Joe Biden is talking about forced, you know, it's talking about inoculating people, forcing them to get jabbed in order to have jobs and things like that. Like that's like, I'm, I'm laughing. Part of me is laughing. Like this guy is out of his mind, but the other part of me is this is very serious. This is, this is, this is also simultaneously no laughing matter. You know what I mean? So I kind of have to balance this out. The the Biden administration is, um, you know, it's, 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 I'm not trying to say that, that their, his administration isn't run by a bunch of grifters too. It's I'm sure it is, but it's just that they stay out of, you know, so, I mean, so far they've stayed out of prison, <laughs> which is better than <laughs> what can be said for Trump's guys. Of course, you know, the Justice Department's weaponized against Trump and everything like that. But, of course, um, but, but, uh, th- this is going to be a painful four years. And, and I, and I think, like most people, I don't think Joe Biden makes it four years, which then leads us to the follow up, which is then you get Kamala Harris. And is that any better? Because we all know. First of all, she's completely unlikable and and as phony as Hillary Clinton, um, but not as skill skillful at navigating Washington D.C. Uh, she doesn't have the get out of jail free cards that Hillary has. She doesn't have the fifty years of compromised dirt on people the way. Right. That yeah, Clinton's yeah. What was the um, in the Democratic primary a few years ago? Didn't she get like five percent of the Democratic vote in, Cal- in Cal one percent in California? Her home state. Oh, in, in oh, in California, I'm not sure, but yeah, it you're was supposed very, to very win bad. That. You're supposed yeah. to win your state. I remember they were like, Amy Klobuchar's doing really bad in Minnesota, or something like. Yeah, she threw staplers at her staff. Of course, she's doing poorly. You're supposed to. She's only in third place. Kamala Harris was in like last place in every state. Nobody wants her. 
Nobody like no nobody is calling for. She's so brave. She's not brave. She got she's to wear the, shit she's, for fucking Willie Willie uh Willie Brown. Willie Brown. Willie Brown. Yeah. Um, you think I would know? Willie, that Willie Brown's oh. Johnson. I mean, you, you were right. Willie there. Brown's Johnson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, you, yeah, you know, so I'm half um, right. She and she is the the phoniest person. You know, you thought people like Hillary had a phony laugh or a cackle. Even even Biden. I remember Biden cackling back in the. Uh, VP um, debates what was that eight, 12 years ago, cackling like, like the Joker. Yeah. Um, but, but hearing Kamala Harris laugh is like, it's one of the cringiest things I've ever experienced in my life. It's, 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 it's not even funny. It's like uncomfortable. Yeah. I missed the good old days back when Vi- Biden was vice president and the onion used to run stories. They'd run story after story after story about Joe Biden washing his Trans Am in the driveway of the White House. Just all the time they would run these stories. And I just thought that was the funniest thing. I'd have this image of Joe Biden out there waxing and like putting in all this work on his black Trans Am. He's like Smokey and the Bandit Trans Am. They'd always have these pictures and they just kind of play, you know, it's obviously the onion. So they used to be funny. They're not quite as funny anymore. But, you know, it, it was this harmless sort of thing. And now the waxing the Trans Am guy is in charge of the world to an extent. And that is terrifying to me because I think that the guy is, um, you know, he's, he, he's more than just, he's more than just a, um, a bad president or, or all that, you know, or, or a senile old man who can't remember where he is and may or may not have had somebody else wipe his butt for him. He's also the architect of some of the worst policies in American history, like the private prison, policy, the omnibus crime bill, um, that, that what that took people that were found guilty of possession of crack cocaine as opposed to powdered cocaine and gave them disproportionately large sentences, knowing that that was going to target the black community most because they wanted to get rid of, they wanted to put the black community in prison. Now that was a Nixon strategy. He had used that back, back when he was, um, uh, you know, running because he, he said, well, we'll get to, we'll make marijuana really illegal and get the hippies thrown in jail and make heroin super illegal. And we'll get the black people thrown in jail because they're not going to vote for me anyway. So let's just get them out. And so that they won't vote for my opponent. And so when, when the omnibus crime bill was being written by it first, initially it was written by George HW Bush in conjunction with Bill Clinton, but then it Clinton became president and, and Clinton actually wound up passing it he worked on it heavily with joe biden and that's why and that is is where you get the private prison industry which is such a stain on america that it makes me sad to think that i live in a country that has monetized people's freedom and joe biden's behind that you know and and he's the one that said that um he was talking about bulldozing raves and that they should take all those people and throw them in prison forever and all i mean it was just like crazy shit so anti-drugs while simultaneously having a son who can't stop smoking crack and knocking up strippers so it, it's it's hard to take the guy seriously and i get it his son is not him and, and and i know that but it's hard to take it seriously when he's got this tough on crime and anybody in this anybody in the white house you know they do a, a, a they they asked everybody in the white house if they were if they had ever or if there's marijuana users and anyone that said yes they just fired them right on the spot meanwhile your 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 vice president kamala harris is talking about how back in college she used to like to get high and listen to biggie 
Oh, shut the fuck. I mean, first of all, no, you didn't. And second yeah, of all, you didn't. stop pandering. You sound retarded doing that. And, and it's embarrassing. And, and so, but again, back to hypocrisy, right? You write a book about hypocritical behavior. You, you, can't, you can't just leave out the part about Joe Biden being insanely tough on drug crime while simultaneously having a son that is, you know, I mean, look, I, I have empathy for anybody that has a hardcore drug problem it must be it must be terrible no period it must be terrible i have less empathy for a guy like hunter biden though who has been uh you know grifting off of his family's name for a long long time and putting putting his dad in a bad spot by the way too not that i have any sympathy for his dad but 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 you know if you love your parents if you love your dad you wouldn't be doing stuff like this but then again they're a crime family so yeah well, you, you know, it's interesting talking about the private uh, prison stuff. You know, I had a conversation with some friends the other day. They were talking they were talking about, well, you know, why are all these people sitting on death row for years and years and years? Why aren't they just kind of taking them to the chopping block? I'm like, listen, it's a business. It's a business. It's a private business that they make millions and billions, probably billions of dollars off of. They get they, they get paid off probably to let report. They get paid off probably by news organizations that come in there and interview the serial killers, right? Because everybody loves a good serial killer story. They get paid so much money to keep these psychopaths alive that they'll drag it out as long as possible. Obviously, the legal proceedings is, is a part of it as well, obviously, the, the appeal process. But at the same time, they're not willing to just to, to execute or, or make a decision about these people. They want them to sit in this prison limbo for years because they're making shit tons of money off it. A lot of money. And um, and when they did these private prison deals, part of the stipulation, it, it, it varied from state to state, but the deals that they would do would have mandatory minimum occupancy rates in there. Some of them were as high as 100%. In Arizona, it's 100%, which means that if you build a private prison, the state of Arizona will guarantee that every single bed will be filled. And if it's not filled, they'll pay you as if every single bed is filled. So what you do is you take that, um, I, that concept of a prison with a bunch of rooms, treat it kind of think of it like a hotel or think of it like a gym, right? So let's, mm -hmm. let's use it as like it's gold's gym. You've built this gold's gym, right? And you've got this many members, right? So you can take that information to a bank and say, I want to expand my gold's gym. I've got 10,000 members. They all live within, you know, eight mile radius of here. Um, with this, I think that I can build another gym 15 miles from here. And I think I can do the same thing. You know, here's my financials. And they look at that and they go, okay, that sounds good. We'll loan you the money to do that. Well, with the private prison industry, they do the same thing, except they go to wall street. They say, we built this prison. It costs us X number of millions of dollars. We have guaranteed bed occupancy for the next 25 years. We're guaranteed revenue from it. Uh, we want to build more of these. And they go, yeah, okay. So that's what, so the pub, the private prison industry is publicly traded on Wall Street. Right. So you can buy stock in these companies. And, and, and so that is, that's kind of America yeah. right there. You know, you can mm -hmm. buy stock on Wall Street or from your, your Charles Schwab account of a, of a business entity that runs private prisons that benefits and profits at the expense of taking away other human beings freedoms mm -hmm. it's disgusting yeah. it, it's it's you see this polarity and you see it in a lot of movies and a lot of popular culture is you have these two extremes right you have the rich that just keep getting richer and you have the poor that just keep 
getting poorer and poorer. You know, I um, I don't know if you, you've heard of the show called American Horror Story yeah. on FX. So they just ran a season about how people could take this black pill, like they're, they're throwing the shit in our face now, take a black pill. And if you are inherently a very successful person, you will sh- shoot to the top of whatever your field is. But the, but but the the drawback is you you are now a vampire also. So th- these people are now the the cream of the crop. But then they're going on um, they're going online and finding drug dealers like selling like bicycles and going and eating those people. You know, so it's like you, you see these kind of things all the time. Like they're they're, they're they're showing this divide going up and up and up and down and down and down. And it, it's definitely an intentional intentional thing, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And, um, and so in, in the sense, in the case of the, of the, of the private prison industry, the, what, one of the, one of the byproducts of that, that these guys love, cause they're psychopathic maniacs trying to control society is that if you make, so like cocaine comes into the country through the Bush family and the Clintons, of mm-hmm. course, and then it goes out into the streets and then it, it either be stays in powdered cocaine form or it gets uh, transformed with baking soda and a little bit of water and some heat into crack cocaine. It's chemically different structure now, but it's still cocaine. If you have um, the same weight of powdered cocaine in your pocket and you get arrested by a cop, you're going to do considerably less time than if you have rock cocaine. And the reason why they did that is because rock cocaine is considered to be a black drug and powdered cocaine is considered to be a white drug. So mm-hmm. they, it wasn't accidental. It's obviously racist. It's totally shitty, but it is a fact that that's, that's what they did. So you can now stick black, you, you can go down the street, catch a black guy with one crack rock in his pocket. Not even, not even for distribution, just has it. Minimum five-year prison sentence, but it, but that has a ripple effect, to borrow Ricky Verandas's podcast term. That has a ripple effect on society. Okay, it takes the dad, if, if that guy, let's just say in this scenario, that guy was married and had two kids, takes the dad out of the home for five years, minimum. Maybe they tack on some other stuff. Maybe he doesn't make his bed every morning in the private prison industry, and they tack on more time to him there, which is always possible. So you... You take a guy out of his, ha- his family. He's no longer working. He's no longer contributing to his family. You now put all that burden on the mother who's trying to raise these kids. Maybe she had a job. Now she's got to get a second job, probably a third job. Now she can't watch those kids. Those kids wind up becoming delinquents because there's nobody watching them. Uh, they fall into the prison system themselves or in foster care eventually or something like that. I mean, it is a horrible cycle. If you fall into the foster care system under Bill Clinton, he incentivized that so that if you place kids in other homes, the person that places the kids will get $4,000. So they've started paying commissions for you to place kids in other people's homes. So they're taking kids out of homes that didn't need to be out, didn't need to be taken out of their home and putting them in other people's homes because the guys get paid on it. So there's all kinds of side effects of this, this war on drugs and this private prison industry and all this stuff. It has like a cascading effect where it like, then, then if you take that and magnet and, and just run that out for 20 years, then you, yeah. you start a new generation of people that are, that yeah. are all, you know, that didn't have a good opportunity growing up as kids because their dad was in prison and their mom was working three jobs. And now that kid's selling drugs. 
you know, so and, and then to, to that person, then you get the whole institutionalized thing, right? You know, just look yeah. at movies like the Shawshank Redemption, right? Where the guy was in jail for 40, 50 years. He got out, committed suicide because he didn't know how to live any other way. It's a psychological breakdown of, of you as a, as a person. You can't function if you don't have that order or whatever you think it is. So a lot of these people yeah. do whatever they can to get back in, whether they cognitively realize that's what they're doing or not. They, 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 they're going to do it like the recidivism. It's, it's crazy, right? It's it yeah. got to be 90, 90-ish percent. Oh, yeah. And they set up the parole system to just keep people on a revolving door. Yeah, the whole thing is the, the, the whole state prison system is is disgusting. The federal prison uh, is is even worse. So so we're in a, you know, and of course, there's there's let's not pretend that there aren't two sets of laws, laws for the rich and laws right. for the poor. And and that has to do with, you know, the sort of legal defense you can purchase and uh um, there's also something called the American Pie Defense, um, and that is a, a joking term that they used to uh, describe the public defenders, the situation that public defenders have in the United States right now. And the reason why they called it the American Pie Defense is because the prosecutors in a lot of these inner city uh, jurisdictions have the amount of time to prepare for a new case that it takes to listen to the entire song American Pie by Don McLean, which is about seven minutes long, a little bit more than seven minutes long. Yeah. That's how long the guy has to prepare for the case for his client, which is the reason why you have 96% plea bargains. Yeah. Because you, you, you got the cops stack charges on you. You're looking at 25 years. Now you're not going to get 25 years, but you're looking at 25 years, man. What do you want to do? You want to take this three-year deal or you want to roll the dice? Uh, Malcolm Jenkins, you know, from, mm. from Compton, you want to take you with your shitty public defense. I mean, you, you can't blame, you can't blame the guy, right. For taking right. That, 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 who's going to believe you in front of this white judge, you know? And so, so you get, you get put, you have, it's created this system that's just inherently unfair. And, right. and I understand that life isn't fair, but when it comes to the justice system, you really need to try to make that as fair as possible. You, yeah. I understand that everything else in life isn't fair, but that right there, like, it's such an important thing, you know, to get right. Uh, you don't want to put the wrong guy in prison uh, and you don't want to, you don't want to leave a guy out of prison who's done something bad. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to say that everybody's an angel here, um, right. but, but it, it's, it's one of those things where it's a glaring flaw on America. The, the fact that we have 5% of the world's population and 25% of the world's prisoners, where that's a stat that gets thrown around a lot because it's disgusting and it sticks in your brain as a sign that we're doing things wrong. I mean, we don't, we're, we're, we're doing things. We have 2 million people in prison in America, 2 million, 2 million. That should never happen. That's that's crazy. It's it's interesting because then you um, show the dichotomy of of those kind of laws we're talking about with the, with the crackdown of, of drugs and things like that. Then you look at a place like, like what's happening in Oregon, where they've completely flipped it the opposite way. You know, correct. so I, I, I don't know if I would say that that is the correct way either. But no. what is 
you know, when you're legalizing meth and heroin and that stuff, I don't know if that's the approach. What do, what do you feel about that? I mean, there has to be somewhere in the middle the, of these two. There, there's, there's victimless crimes that, that should, should not be as, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we shouldn't spend much time on victimless crimes. Uh, and that's my opinion. Uh, I have a problem with the police being revenue generators. You know that their job is that they have to write X number of tickets to fulfill their quota and everything like that. That that is you've you've lost the plot. If that's what you're doing, you've lost the point of policing. That that's not policing. That's shaking people down. That's being a you know that's one step removed from some mob guy who's like you know nice flower shop. It'd be a shame if something bad happened to it. You know so so I I I I find that to be you know disgusting. Like what they've been trying to do in Portland. Well, maybe they should look at Portugal because what Portugal has done is they've decriminalized drugs in a way that has made a huge impact. It's it's dropped uh, overdoses, it's dropped crime, it's dropped uh, addiction rates, it's done everything. Everything that they've been doing, they've been doing the right way. I don't know exactly if Portland is following that. I something tells me <laughs> something tells me that even if I don't know the ins and outs of it, the fact that it's Portland. And government means it's probably being done wrong. I mean, I, I'm just going to make the assumption that it's being done wrong. But the idea of decriminalizing drugs is not a bad idea. It's it's all about implementation of that and how you do that. So looking to looking to a country like Portugal that did it to universal disgust by the world. The world was like, "How dare you?" And they're like, "We're going to try something different." And if we it doesn't work, we can always go back to. Uh, criminalizing it again so they tried something different and it worked and and the reason why it worked is because it's because that's a better way of dealing with it and and when we look at what america how america sees the drug war we see it as like an opportunity it's like a it's like oh good now i'm gonna get my budget to go hunt these druggies and i'm gonna you know if you're the fbi or the dea or the border patrol or tsa or all these administrations you've got a reason now the drug war to ask for more money you got to have more money to fight this well what if you weren't fighting this stupid made-up drug war what if you just let people be adults and deal with their own shit you know uh then what would you what could you what could we possibly do with the four trillion dollars in 40 years that we flush down the toilet fighting a drug an unwinnable drug war pretending that we're stopping people at the border with cocaine and searching under their cars with mirrors and dogs while bill clinton and george hw bush and the cia through air america are literally flying in tons of cocaine into mean arkansas like what are we doing what are we doing this is insane so it's one it's you know it's like it, when you see stuff, when you come to like know what is actually happening, you go, yeah, the drug war is a total joke. I mean, it's more, it's, it's actually, it's, it's not a joke because if it was a joke, it'd be funny. It's a, it's a, it's a disgusting stain on America. And, 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 but, but think of who benefits from that private prisons, politics. Yeah. I'm going to get tough on crime, you know, lawyers, all the people that write the laws benefit from all this stuff. So of course they're going to write the laws in a way that justifies their own existence. So um, it's just, a, you know, it, it's hard to, 
you know, it's hard to get on board and enthusiastic with all these new Biden mandates and all these new Biden ideas when the best ideas that these presidents could come up with would be to fix the current problems that the other ideas guys came up with, the private prison yeah. war on drugs or anything. If, if, if I ran for president, my, my platform would be for the next four years, I'm going to have to clean up all of their messes. Mm-hmm. But, but that's right. But that's what's best for the country now. But and actually like, do and actually do it. You know, yeah, I think yeah. that's the thing. I think they all say, oh, I'm here to fix that. But but they, they're just the same thing. It's the same thing. Right, right, right. You can't you can't actually be serious, Bill Clinton, about the war on drugs when A, you're an avid cocaine user yourself. B, you're flying cocaine in in the through the plane loads and then you're going to tell me that you're tough on crime and you're going to spend a trillion dollars over during your administration to build private prisons and or to finance private prisons build out more prison facilities and spend money on the war on drugs while you've left the back door wide open it's just it's it's just very frustrating and then and then they go well you know we just don't have any money for these social programs. Oh, the blind school down the street, you know, oh, we're going to have to close that. There's just not enough money for funding because we're spending it all on border patrol to make sure that we catch some, some kid coming back from spring break with a kilo of co- or with a, with a eight ball of cocaine shoved up his ass or something. You know, this is, this is our priorities now. And so it, it's just, it's very, it's, we focus on, the most pointless things at the expense of the most important things you know right. it's it's tough to watch them now the the private prison industry when when did that start like early 90s was that late 80s er, well the, i the concept of it was was out there in the 80s yeah. but it got it got um signed into laws or in in the mid 90s through the omnibus <laughs> crime bill it, it's just crazy because you think of a movie like um robocop Right, which came out mid '80s. What was that about? It was about a huge corporation running a police department. You know, they didn't get into the jail aspect, but that was the huge thing. Was this multi-million-dollar Fortune 500 company was now um, privatizing police forces? Mm-hmm. So, it like that is such you know thinking about it now of the timing that is such predictive programming for what we've seen ever since then. And you saw the whole idea of that was kind of a cautionary tale, right? Because yeah. You know, if you let these people in charge, they will create robots. And what a, even if it wasn't a robot, it would be some other BS thing that would make the situation a hundred times worse. Right. To, just yeah. to make a quick, just to make a quick buck. Yeah, I was at. Um, I, I spoke at an Arcapulco a couple of years ago. Dale Brown was there. He's a Detroit guy who started his own private police force to respond to calls because the cops weren't showing up to anything. So he went around and said, I'm going to start this private police force and we're going to be well-financed and we're going to have great equipment. And if you want to hire us, you can hire us and we'll be your police force too. And so that's an interesting way of looking at now. I, I, I I would be more inclined to trust Dale Brown than I would be if it was a, if it was, you know, some Amazon, (laughs) Amazon police, you know what I mean? Uh, But, uh, but it, it, your point is well taken that it's like these they come in they they create more problems than they solve and it happens so frequently that you get to a point where you start to question well maybe that's the point maybe maybe they're maybe they've never intended to solve these problems maybe they've just intended to to keep them going and i think where we see um 
that in, in, in practical form is in our healthcare industry, where nobody is actually fixing your problem. They're just managing your problem so that your problem never fully goes away. It just kind of lingers and keeps you as a customer forever. It's like in, um, in my business classes, they would teach you about functional obsolescence. You know, it's like, you don't make the can opener too good or it'll never break. And someone will pay, buy a can opener once and keep it for 70 years and never need another one, you know? And so it's like, you have to make it so that the parts last long enough so that you feel like you're getting your money's worth, but not so long that you can keep it forever because then you can never sell replacements or anything like that. Yeah. So do you, do you remember in the, in the nineties, uh, the big thing was those rechargeable battery machines, mm-hmm. right? That was, it was a huge thing. And I think everybody had them. They may still make them. I don't know, but that was a huge thing. And I think, you know, to your point about the obsolescence, I think they realized, well, this probably wasn't the best way. We don't want people buying four D batteries and using them for the rest of their lives. That is right. not the way to go. So they probably slowly phase those those out or put faulty machinery in it because you don't really hear a lot about it anymore but you're right the healthcare industry is exactly the same way pharmaceutical industry is just you know meant for us to be on that regiment over and over again not fixing anything like look at a advil look at a container of advil it doesn't say cures your fever it says fever reducer or you know fever reliever it will never truly do what you think it's supposed to do Well, because sick people make a lot of money for the corporations and healthy people do not. And that is, um, you know, that's, that it, it just, it goes against business. You know, it's, it's tough to run a business where you need sick people Mm -hmm. to buy your products. So you, you, you have, you in the back of your mind, know that the best thing for your company is if you have more customers, but your customers are all in by the nature of the product that you're selling, your customers are all un- unhealthy. They're all sick, but you want more customers. So you kind of need more sick people. And that's the, that's the mentality of the pharmaceutical industry um, because they are first and foremost running a business and their business is to try and make as much money as possible. So um but there's got to be like a, a a line where you yeah. you can't you can't be intentionally making people sick so that they come yeah. back and, and and are your customer. I, I tell I say this to people when they're they're uh, when we're talking about uh, pre, just pre COVID, but like vaccines, you know. Uh, and and I would say, you know, have you ever noticed that you'll you'll go into like a Walgreens or a CVS here in the United States and, and it'll say like free, come in for your free flu shot and $10 gift card. And, I, and I'm, I'm going, I'll say to people, you're like, do you understand why you're getting a free flu shot and why you're, they're willing to even give you a $10 gift card? Have you ever thought about why that is? And they go, well, they're, maybe they're getting like reimbursed from the manufacturer. Hmm. Um, they know that the flu shot is going to give you the flu. You're going to be sick from it. And when you're sick, you're going to come back in here and buy like $50 worth of stuff from them. You're yep. going to buy all kinds of stuff. It is the best investment they can make. They'll, they're saying, come on in and get sick. 
here, I'll even give you 10 bucks to come on in and get it. Now, why would they be giving you, why would they be incentivizing you to take this stuff when they're in the business of selling you medicine? Because they know they're going to sell more medicine because they're going to get sick from it. Mm -hmm. Once people figure that out, once people go, oh shit, like in the jerk, you know, when he's like, oh, it's a profit game, you know, and like <laughs> when he's working the carnival and he's like, it's a profit game, you know, once that like light bulb goes off, then it's like, oh shit, you mean the vaccines are a profit game? It's like, yeah, keep going yeah. with that thought. Now extrapolate that and, and, and put that on, on what we've gone through in the last year. And, yeah. and, and it's like, they're lying. They would lie about the vaccines. Well, when Pfizer is set to make $55 billion this quarter, then yeah, they'd lie about that. They'd lie about everything for that amount of money. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's funny because we talk about how there's all these ways that, that, you know, the healthcare system kind of keeps us sick to keep feeding in the system. You know, I, I work in the healthcare industry and there's one, uh, there's one um, men, uh, um, methodology or mentality of there is a way for healthcare to stay profitable, but keep people healthy. But it's, it's, a, it's a hard concept for people to come around to kind of what it's called. It's, just, it's called accountable care, which, you know, sounds great. The idea is that let's say last year, if you run a physician office last year, let's say Medicare paid you a million dollars. Okay. Um, this year, let's say, for example, you're able to get people eating healthier, eating, eating right, exercising, all that kind of stuff. And in this year, Medicare only pays you, um, only paid you like half a million dollars. So there's basically Medicare made half a million dollars off that. The idea behind this concept is that they will give you some of that savings for keeping people healthier. And it's a great model fundamentally, and I think it's, it's fundamentally sound, but trying to get doctors to buy, buy in on that, they're so used to a per procedure, per x-ray, per this, per that. I'm getting paid yeah. per all these things I'm doing, not getting people healthy because it's, it's, it's you know how it all goes back to the Rockefellers and the American Medical Association, all yeah. this stuff. They haven't been taught that way, so it's it's hard for people to wrap their mind around that cop set. But it it, it is out there, and I'm, it's kind of frustrating that it hasn't caught on as much as it should. It's a, that's a really interesting way to to look at healthcare, and I think people look. I mean, we have to admit that 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 the current system is most definitely broken, and mm -hmm. uh, at least here in the United States, I can't speak for every country, but here in the United States, it's broken. And and the question is, do they really want to fix it, or do they want to just right. keep patching it up and throwing money at it and making you know? Because a lot of there's some people that are making a lot of money. They don't mm -hmm. want anything to change, but but we've got to, you know we've got to start quantifying healthy people and what sort of value increased value they have as opposed to sick people. I mean, like, I think if you can explain to it, like, let's say I'm running a big business and I have, I realize that I'm going to lose productivity. The more days I've got guys out of the office sick. So it's in my best interest to keep everybody healthy. Right. So maybe I set up a program where I say to my employees, I'm going to give each of you $1,000 a year for a gym membership, but you got to give me the receipts every month. You know, you got to, I got to know that you're going, you know, and, or, and I'll, or I'll pay for, uh, or, or I'll set up here in the office, uh, like my sponsor, uh, uh, chemical free body. I'll buy all the green 85 in the world. I'll put it all in the break room. You guys can just, just take that every day. It's good for you. It's this green drink, you know, stir it up, drink it and everything. Maybe, maybe it's going to take, 
uh, an entrepreneurial type person that's running a business and sees health of his employees as a, as a, he's ever able to measure that on a spreadsheet and say, it's in my best interest to keep these people healthy. Therefore, I'm going to do the things that keep them, you know, able to keep coming into work. You know, you want your starting pitcher to be in, you know, in good shape. So you, you have him get the massages every day so that his arm is always in good shape. You know, you invest in these people's health. You invest a little bit of money to make sure that your team of employees is healthy. And then you take a look at the productivity year after year and you go, I'll be damned. This is working. It's working better. My people and my people appreciate that I'm trying, I'm trying to make them healthier. So there's, Having that top down from the government, I don't think it'll ever work, but I think having that like corporation by corporation and showing that you can, that it actually benefits you monetarily to be, to run a healthy environment, a healthy workplace, then, um, then you just have to let people, you know, they can come to that, that uh, way of doing business out of the goodness of their heart, if they'd like, or they can come to it from the cold deadness of just a number on a spreadsheet and say, yeah, I don't give a shit about these people anyway, but I'm still going to put the green 85 out there. I'm still going to give them the gym membership. I still want them to do it because it, it makes me more money. I don't care how they come to that realization. If, as long as they come to the realization that, Healthy people are better for the country than sick people. But what we've got is a, a sickness in Washington, D.C. and a sickness in our media that is telling everybody that uh, being unhealthy is the way to go. And if you're not willing to take the mystery injection, then you're somehow anti-science. You know, it's like we're just, every, everything's upside down these days. It is. And, you know, to your analogy about the, the business owner who wants to keep his people healthier to kind of reduce his, um, you know, exposure, his expense, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's kind of, like you said, it's upside down because what you're seeing happening now is insurance companies, some have started to roll it out, some have just talked about it, is a different, is a um, additional payment you have to make if you're not vaccinated. Which makes no sense. So, so, in, so in, in that event of your, your business owner, you know, now he's, instead of incentivizing people to get healthy, so he can save his expense. He's incentivizing people to take something that could be potentially unhealthy or worse for everybody. Right. It's so upside down and so backwards because we would we would probably argue that most people who have been vaccinated are probably a lot more healthier than people that are. Now that's not a every time and every situation kind of thing, but a, a lot of people I know that are against these kind of things are are, are like yourself, very healthy people. Exercise, eat right, do the do the right kinds of things. They're not, they're not the ones going to get it to get a donut. You know what I'm saying? No. So it's, uh, no, it's, no, it's, I, it's so backwards. I love the lecture from the lady, you know, the lady that's going to lecture us about, you know, take the shot uh, for your, you know, it's for your health, God damn it, as she's 150 pounds overweight and just decided this last year that now she's concerned about health. Now she's a health expert, you know, no, thank you. Not interested in, 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 in that opinion. But uh, yeah, we we there's we all know there's there's a fortune in healthcare. But what we what collectively as a society we've forgotten is that we we really you know we like to 
name things the wrong things like secretary of defense you know that used to be the the, the or department of defense used to be the department mm-hmm. of war <laughs> you know and it was like right. hey, you should you should have kept it department of war well we call it health care but it's really sick care that's yeah. really what it is it's not we're not trying to they're not really trying to make people healthy they're trying to make people sick so we should we could start by labeling things what they actually are so that they could of course the Biden administration has has declared a war on words, um, and, but but it, we could start by labeling things what they actually are. If we started calling it sick care all the time, people yeah. would go, "Why do you call it that?" And you go, "Well, because they're just trying to get you sick." And they go, well, "Yeah, we we had a former president at our organization that he he would say that all the time. He said, listen, what we are operating in is a sick care system.' And he, and he's he won a record saying like, listen, he's like, we all talk about these things that are so backwards. He's like, oh." People will say we had a great flu season. It's like, wait, you had a great flu season, which means every every bed was filled, which means a lot of the community was was sick and or dying or needed respiratory. All this kind of like that's not uh, okay. Yeah, it affects your bottom line. Great, but you need to think about the health of the of the community. You're not like you said. It's it's a sick care model. It is not a health care model. And and he knew that and he wanted to try to change that. But like you said. Yeah these things are, are generational to try to get changed. And oh, yeah. most times than not, they're, they're never going to happen. Yeah. And, and you talk to, and, and it starts with like, like you mentioned earlier, the, the Rockefeller medical schools, right? When, when, when you go through those systems of education and you're taught that this is medicine and this is the only medicine and that other stuff is quackery, um, then you, you know, then you have to, you really have to, if you want to change the system, like you said, it's like a long-term turning, it's like turning a, cargo ship around you know you've got to you've got it's going to take a while you're going to have to start in the school systems and and, and at these uh, anarchopulco conferences that i've been going to there's a there's always a health and wellness component to it it's like a three-legged stool it's anarchy and all that cool stuff it, it's crypto and all of that and then it's health and wellness and that comes in a bunch of different forms and fashions some of it is uh is actual traditional like naturopathic health uh some of it is some unusual method some of it is using products you've never even heard of some of it is homeschooling they're talking about that as a form of improving your health meditation psychedelics all that stuff is there you can you can go do an ayahuasca trip at night with me if you want throw up for 10 hours into a bucket like i did and go to pluto for 10 hours and come back and you know but but all that stuff is is part of looking at this whole system that we're a part of in a different way, like with different ideas and different things. And, and part, that's one of the reasons why I always feel so depressed when I leave Anarchapulco is because I, there's part of me that's sad that I'm leaving all of these really brilliant minds because they're seeing things and they're trying things differently that I think seem positive and, and interesting and maybe uh, exactly what we need. And I know I'm going to be going back to the system and the system sucks. Yeah. And it's all, and we're all at our own uphill battles with people we know, friends, family, loved ones, work colleagues, for all of us that, that, you know, our brains think a certain way it is, it's an uphill battle. And every day it's, it's frustrating, but you know, like you said, it's, it's good to have those meetings, those conferences, like what we're doing here, what we, what we all do on Rockfin and, and, and Twitter and Instagram, we just, make fun of the system, laugh at it, do this and that. We, it, it's better to laugh than cry. I think we would yeah. all agree at this point, it, which, which brings me to, uh, to something, um, something pretty funny. You, uh, 
you were honored um, to have a guest on very recently who was the son of one of the most um, influential people in our world today, Mr. Um, Klaus Schwab Jr. Yes. So um, going back to bringing comedy into this, <laughs> talk a little bit about this guy. This guy has, you know, and I was talking with Ricky Verandas when he was on my show a month or so ago about, about him. Like he has such a commitment to, to this character that is, is absolutely hilarious. So I want to talk a little about, about Klaus Schwab Jr. <laughs> Klaus Schwab Jr. is, so I, I, um, I have a, a friend named Eric Hollerbach and he is the host of the Highway Diaries. It's a, uh, it's a, a podcast that he does. He, he, he's uh he used to work in washington or he used to work in hollywood on films and things like that and then he wound up in new jersey and that now he's uh, in texas and he's he's a uh in, in addition to his his day job he's also a stand-up comedian and and but he's into all this crazy stuff he's like his two favorite guests to have on his show are me and ben fulford and ben fulford is out of his fucking mind <laughs> you know what i mean it's just he's talking about the craziest stuff so so eric loves these conversations he loves these to talk about deep conspiracies he likes to talk about freemasons he likes to talk about all that stuff right and he found a way to blend his comedy with his conspiracy and he created a character called klaus schwab jr and Klaus Schwab Jr. has this very German accent, you know, and 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 Eric has fashioned this. I don't know how to describe it. It, it looks like something that Klaus Schwab, or the original, would wear, you know, like something out of like out of the Galactic Federation of weirdos. It's just just this really spacey type suit, and. And, and no shirt underneath, just this like tri like big shoulder pads, triangular type thing. And he has the German accent. And and he he got I he got uh connected with Sam Tripoli uh and and showed up, crashed one of Sam's shows with when Eddie Bravo was there and did the and, and Sam let him go up on stage and he went up on stage and and cracked eddie up so bad eddie was like you've got to come to oklahoma city with us tomorrow night and he's like fine let's go <laughs> right so now he's on the road with these guys right and um and 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 i get voicemails and i can see i've got him in my phone as eric right I, and so uh -huh. i know it's eric calling but i get the voicemails and it's just it's just Klaus Schwab Jr. just going to, uh, talking about the Scheisen and talking about and we made we made Britney Spears do the, I mean he just goes on and on and it's just these rambling he's insane and yeah. uh, but funny insane you know so so I said you, we got we got to do a show I mean, you got to come on and then like it maybe at the last couple minutes um, you can you can go get into Klaus Schwab character so if if anyone's interested you can go to Macroaggressions it's called uh, my episode's called The Highway to Hell. It's with Eric Hollerbach from Highway Diaries, a.k.a. Klaus Schwab Jr. You'll own nothing and you will like it, you know, and he just does all of that. And and where it came from is that when, when Eric was a kid, he had a German foreign exchange student stay with him. So he got like the whole vibe and... Um, yeah, so it's very funny, and you never know what he's going to say. And he doesn't break; he doesn't break it down like in in laughter, and he stays like committed to yes. the character, which makes it. He, he he's been making these 
hilarious like 30 second videos on on instagram my, uh -huh. my friend matt in the chat just reminded me he he made this video a few weeks ago he's like i'm just in the grave graveyard just pissing on the graves of my enemies and just wanted <laughs> yeah. to write you guys a quick video like oh my gosh it's it's so good and it, it's it's much needed laughter and, and some of it is a little some of it's pretty dark i'll be honest some of it's a little dark but oh he's you know, a dark I, guy I, I get that kind of comedy. I know you do as well. He's a, he's a dark guy. He goes, you know, like wherever the line is, he'll go like way over the line, but it, but it, and then, and then he'll call me and he'll say, I think I've done, I think I've done it this time. I think I might've, I think I might've gone too far. And I was like, perfect. Keep going. You know, he's going to wind up in prison. Someday. He's going to wind <laughs> up in a private prison. After like you show up and your cellmate is some dude who is, is claiming to be Klaus Schwab Jr. Uh, it's it's brilliant to me. I think it's great. He 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 joined Sam um, for uh, the 500th episode in Vegas, the live tinfoil hat. So, yeah, that's it's it's just it's so good and it's so so refreshing and it's and so, we need uh, that. We need to yeah. we we need to laugh at the insanity of it all. You know, we I understand that uh, that this is a serious time and serious business, and I obviously know who Klaus Schwab is and all that. And these people are are psychopaths of the highest order, but we are also allowed to make fun of them and we're allowed to have a good time doing it and we're allowed to uh, mock them and 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 pelt them with tomatoes and maybe at the end get the guillotines out because I think that's <laughs> probably the 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 only way this thing truly ends, but uh, not that I'm advocating for that or anything but things uh, happen things happen things happen it's but 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 guys like eric guys like sam um they've found this way to blend the seriousness of these conspiracies in with the the humor to allow people to kind of laugh at the absurdity of it all and i i just i love it and um I'm excited. I'm doing tinfoil hat next Wednesday again. So oh, awesome, so awesome, I've definitely. That, I've got tinfoil hat on the mind. So. Definitely, definitely looking forward to, to to hearing that. So, so what else? What else do you kind of have in the pipeline? Anything else that you're you're working on? Future guests? What's 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 new for for Charlie? Uh, let's see. Um, I'm recording uh, Bobby Sauce tomorrow. Bobby Sausalito from Instagram. I don't know if people... okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Great dude. Yeah, he's he's coming on uh, tomorrow with me. Um, I've been emailing with Max Egan, trying to get that hooked up. He's in Acapulco now. He's escaped Mexico, or he's escaped Australia into Mexico. And um, I'm hoping to get that set up, but I, the, it's been it's been tough because he's been on the road, sort of, so to speak. So. Um, more macroaggressions, I think. The book, uh, the the, I, I don't know if I'm going to start a fourth book right now. I think I might need a little bit of time. I say that and then watch. I'll, I'll probably start. <laughs> so an idea will just hit you and you'll just run with it. I already, well, I already know what I want to do. <laughs> you know, I'm like, well, I can't start it right now. And then I'll be like, I'm just going to write a chapter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'll be right. Like, all night long. <laughs> uh, but, but, but that it's keep, it's keeping me uh, busy. And, um, uh, and uh and union of the unwanted too the the group show that you've you've come you've been on it yeah yeah mm -hmm, yeah great time a couple great times, time there yeah. um yeah. i because i keep seeing you and i'm thinking I, you had to have been on that show but then again i'm <laughs> but i see you on with uh everyone else too so i'm 
have to make sure uh union of the unwanted is fun man it's so fun we just get uh it's like a like a science experiment you know we're yeah. just like we'll take some of these people and throw them in and we'll take some of these people and we'll throw them in and then we'll shake it all up and like let them go you know <laughs> like, and, it's, and, and it's a great wow. conversation because everybody brings something different to the table and you know 99% of the time, it's not very combative. I mean, I think there have yeah. been some moments, I'm, I'm sure, but most people are play play off each other. They have different stories and different things yeah. that all, it all ties together in this weird cosmic mesh that was meant to be. Yeah. And, and the, the, and what's, what's fun about it is that we don't tell anyone who we're inviting. Like we don't tell the, the, the podcast people, the, the podcast hosts that we invite on or the guests, we don't tell them who any of the other guests are. So it's like, you just log in and it's like, there might be 15 people on the, in, in this, this uh, particular episode. And you just start looking, you look and see who's there. And <laughs> one of the funniest times that we had was like, um, we were getting it set up before we went live. We were, we were all in there and Roger Stone, logged in right and, and I, I mean that we know like the, me or ricky mike and sam we know who's coming but, but but nobody else knows who's coming so so i knew roger was coming so roger stone logs in and everything we're saying hey what's going on how are you nice to meet you and uh, and then he goes ah oh, shit he's like i'm having problems with my connections i'm gonna disconnect off of this machine and um i'm gonna i'm gonna jump on a different machine but just give me like two minutes i'll be back and we're like okay cool he goes away we go live. He comes back in and he's using uh, like his IT guy's computer instead. And so when he comes on to Zoom with that one under, you know, it's, it's Roger fucking Stone. Okay. So, you know, it's him. He's hard to miss, but under his name, it's like Rigoberto Sanchez. And everyone's like, what the fuck is going on with Roger? What is going on with Roger Stone? Is he we we know it's him right and i was like no no i was like no the thing is i was like i'm not gonna say anything this is actually way too it's funnier if yeah. i don't say anything it's funnier if everybody thinks that roger stone is is trying to pretend like he's rigoberto sanchez or something like that to me makes it even better so i just i just didn't just, say anything. just let it go i just let it go that reminds me did you ever see the it was kind of a viral video from a few months ago because a lot of you know court appearances now are done through zoom Mm -hmm. and some guy he had as his name like you know fuck man 5000 or something and the judge is like <laughs> right. judge is like come on man you can't be having the coming in here with that craziness and oh uh, dude I, so i can imagine just people looking at that roger so like what? really <laughs> really roger so, he, he, yeah he's incognito yeah uh. yeah so so we're, we're we're that's that's one of the things that we're doing and then every now and then we'll just do the four of us for for the show uh and and that's and that's fun too and that and that is, you know, that show came out of an accident. That was, um, that was me and Ricky and Sam and Mike doing a four person show one day and, uh, having a good time doing it. Like we were really kind of, uh, just getting into it and ha having a great discussion. And we, but we were talking about censorship and, and Mike said, we're like the union of the unwanted. And I was like, man, that'd be a great name for a band, you know, like we were all kind yep. of like, oh, too bad that we're old and not in a band, you know, <laughs> but we had so much fun with it. We're like, well, maybe we should do it again. And we were like, okay. And we're like, well, we'll call it the union of the unwanted. We're like, oh yeah, definitely got to do that. So, so we did that and, and Ricky's like, I'll invite some people and we'll see if anyone shows up. 
And so the, so the second episode of it, and we've done like 40 of them now, but the second episode of it, there's like 35 people in and it's too much. It's like, yeah. it's like James Corbett and Ben Swan and Whitney Webb. And, and like, just, there's all these people. It's the, it's murderers row, right? Like Ricky just asked everybody and it's just the best lineup of people, but there's too many. So yeah. we we're like, oh, that was awesome, but too much. So, so yeah, we've been much. kind of tinkering with it. And sometimes there'll be like eight of us. Sometimes there'll be 20, uh, but we try to keep it right around like maybe t- 10 or 12. So it seems, seems to work well. And uh, yeah. And, and anyway, it's, that's just been, that's turned out to be a, a like a monster, you know, like you go look on chartable, which ranks podcasts and everything. And it's like, it's like the we're like 40 but like the top 20 are all like megan kelly and like oh, all these some like, some corporate bs like, oh like yeah all churn and burnham podcast studios big yeah. like big time names that you would recognize and then it gets down and it's like michael savage and then us and we're like dang <laughs> what really already <laughs> okay and but i guess people are interested in in and hearing a bunch of people try to work out these problems. And it's not to say that we have the answers to them, but, but we bring in a lot of people that, that are pretty damn close. So like if, when we have the doctors on to talk about vaccines, it's Dr. Robert Malone and Dr. Kerry Madej and, and seven other doctors all on the call from all over the world. And it's like, tell, talk to us about these vaccines. And they're like, right. He's like, all right, I'll explain it. You know, so, so it's, I think people are interested in that because you get, a long form podcast uh, episode without the censorship, without yeah. the the crazy medical censorship that's happening right now, where nobody's allowed to have an opinion other than the established one. And, uh, and I think that they're appreciating that the pod, there are some podcasts out there that have that. So yeah. That's, yeah. That's- and, and, you know, there's a lot of great nuggets in there that people can go look up for themselves, right? Like, it was on the Union of Iwana that I first heard that idea of like, you know, the graphene oxide. Like I had no idea what that, what that is. And, you know, that, that caused me to go and start looking that up. And there's so many other things that are, that are brought up that it, it's a really great jumping off point for a lot of people to. Interplanetary to, to, file sharing system, IPFS. Oh what? I'd never heard of yeah. that until Ernie Hancock came on and explained how that works and how he'd been backing up all of James Corbett's and Luke Radowski's stuff for years and years and years so that if those guys ever got unplugged, he had, he had copies of their stuff decentralized everywhere. And he's like, oh, this is the future. And we're like, what is the future, Ernie? Tell us all about it. He's like, this is how it works. So, we, so then a couple months later, we have him back on and we bring in all the tech guys. We bring in the head of product for Rockfin. We bring in Jeremy Kaufman, the CEO of Odyssey Library. We bring in Aaron and um, Kingsley, the CEOs of Float, and um, Matt Raymer from Content Safe, and have all of them get on there. And by the time we were halfway done with that call, you've got Odyssey, uh, Rockfin, and uh, Float, uh, all three talking about collaborating together on stuff. And we're like, whoa, this is awesome. Like, this is actually what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We've got them all interacting with each other and saying, oh, I like what you do there. Is that a feature that, is that like a feature that is, you know, spe- specific to you? And he's like, no, 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 I can show you how to do it. And like, oh yeah, we'd love to figure that out. That's just the best, man. So, so yeah. we're interested in, 
we're interested in busting everybody's balls and having a good time and doing all that, but also problem solving, you know, and trying to get people out there. We're going to put, we're putting together a, a food related show pretty soon. That'll be, I think, hopefully helpful to get people thinking about um, their relationship with food, the relationship with the just-in-time trucking system, delivery of food to them, how they can be a little bit more self-sufficient, things like that. I've got Jim, you mentioned who I've got future guests. I've got Jim Gale coming on from Food Forest Abundance mm. yeah. uh, to talk to me about uh, what he's doing out there in Orlando. So yeah, I'm interested. Great I'm, stuff. That's, that's it. Like we don't pretend to have all the answers. We don't think we're going to get it all figured out, but like it's a good place to start. You know, it's a good place to have these conversations. And, and, and I learned something every episode. Most of the time I keep my mouth shut and just listen to all these people. But um, it's been, it's been a, 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 a real blast. And, and, you know, how funny, because had we sat down and planned and crafted and come up with this idea, you know, test marketed this idea for a show and everything, it would have been dumb. You know, the fact that the best stuff kind of happens accidentally, I think is, uh, is, I think is a testament that, that we're on the right, we're on the right track. And I think, right. uh, so we'll continue to do it as long as it's fun. And as long as we're, we're, we're talking about interesting stuff. So, so Monday yeah. night, um, for those that are interested this Monday night, we stream it live on Rockfin. You can follow us, the union of the unwanted. And uh, then it goes out after we stream it live on Rockfin exclusively because we know, well, because we all have channels here and we know that um, Rockfin won't act like maniacs. We then put it out as an RSS feed for podcasts. And then everybody that is a guest on the show also gets, a, uh, gets the file for the show and they can put it on their podcast they can put it on their uh social media they can put it on their channels whatever and we just consider them to be um collaborators on that on that piece of uh, work and so it's as much theirs as, as it is ours so we give it we give it away did you guys get uh scrubbed off of youtube completely Mm, I don't know. I haven't checked in a while. We just don't even post stuff there. It's like, what's yeah. the point? You know, I mean, it, yeah. they can like, I, you, you can get medical disinformation for anything. I got a, a strike on YouTube for my uh, show with Matt Landman, who's the director of Franken skies. We yeah. were talking about the weather and I got a strike from YouTube for violence. <laughs> right. 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 I, I got a, um, I got a hate speech one for talking about 9-11. So there you go. Yeah. You know, yeah. what, what, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> I mean, look, when you're, when you're trying, you can't build a, uh, you can't build a, a channel on a platform of quicksand, you know? And so YouTube is just kind of out. It's just out. And so that's why we're here. That's why we're on Rockfin. That's why we're, we're, that's why the, the show's on Odyssey. Um, because we we want the information out there, but we are not willing to censor it because yeah. because fuck you, that's why. You know? <laughs> exactly, and and that's a great that's a great way that's a great way to end right there to talk about the, uh, <laughs> the, what what we have to say about the about the censorship. So, um, where can everybody find you on social media, websites, etc.? Uh, you can find me, my website is theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. You can find out just about everything if you go there. My Twitter handle is at macroaggressions. 
Um, I've lasted longer the second. In my I, second I was going to say you, you've lasted quite a while. There hasn't been as many volcano related incidents. I, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little surprised, kind of uh, <laughs> impressed that, uh, that I've made it this far. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, you can find me there and um, on Rockfin on David Ike's video platform, iconic on odyssey and uh i think that's it facebook there's a i have a fake octopus of global control facebook group uh that i post to but again it's hard to it's hard to invest any sort of time and energy into that when you know that when i know that i've been banned i've been banned on on i put in facebook jail four times in 2019 for posts that i wrote in 2017 mm, of course so right. like, yeah. you, know, you can't, you can't, again, you can't like count on that. I can't build anything on Facebook. So uh, the website's a good place to find me. That's it. And yes. thanks for having me on uh, Kyle. You know, I always enjoy our talks. We can get into some weird stuff and we barely even talked about star Wars too. You know? Yeah. I, I, that's why, you know, that's why I like having you on. Cause with the star Wars stuff, I'll get into it. If it, if it goes down that rabbit trail, but if it doesn't, Hey, it's all it's all good to me. Well, um, we got the next season of Mandalorian. We can geek out on that when it comes out. Exactly. We'll be finding lots of crazy nuggets in there. So yep. everybody go go check out Charlie's website. If you haven't read any of his books or listened to his podcast, go check it all out. It's it's great. It's been very a great source of information, education for me, myself personally. So Charlie, thank you for putting all that information out there. And and also just on behalf of everybody that does a podcast, I just want to thank you because you're always willing to come on everybody's shows and kind of shoot the shit with, with all of us. So we, we all appreciate that from the bottom well, of our hearts. I, I, it's my great pleasure. I love talking about it, you know, and I will, um, I will always find time to, uh, to do that. I think the conversations are important. So absolutely. Gonna do it. All right. So for Charlie Robinson, this has been another episode of conspiracy in the force and may the force be with you.